Most of you have no idea who I am, and you're still letting me up here, and I'm, uh, I'm excited by that. Um, I will try to be a good steward of your pulpit here. It is beautiful, and the church is beautiful, and y'all have actually been an exceedingly kind congregation to me this morning. I've uh, known you from online. I've known you from what others have said, but to see your face has been a blessing. Uh, I am uh, Pete Link, or Peter Link, and uh, I'm here. I teach at Charleston Southern University. I teach Old Testament which means that I know how to talk while 18-year-olds sleep. <laughs> In all seriousness, it is my wife and I, uh, Becky, we have five kids. Uh, she, she and the kids had commitments at our home church, so they could not be here today. But I know that she, uh, Becky, would want me to convey to you how much we appreciate your kindness. And we know that today is a day of ministry uh, for many of you, but it's also a day of hurting as well. Um, when we celebrate Mother's Day, it's, it's very easy to remember um, those who have been very uh, good mothers to us, but there are ladies today who want to be a mother with all their heart, and it's not there. There are those who've lost their mother. And there are those who are hurting in countless other ways. The good news I have for you is that the pain that we feel in this world is real, but it's not the end of the story. And we are going to allow the scriptures to guide us, not to avoid pain, but to walk with Jesus in the midst of it. And so that's my goal today is to walk with you in the Bible. So if you could, take your Bible and open it up to um, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. I would like you to follow along in your own Bible. Um, and in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to be at a very important part of the scriptures, but I want to give you an overview of what I do as a professor. I have two goals when I teach, two goals when I preach. Number one, I want you to know that Moses and the prophets wrote to you. Now, for some of you, you're like, well, the first two-thirds of my Bible is written to me. That's hard to remember. Well, let me tell you what that means. That's my second point, that Moses and the prophets wrote to you about Jesus. That indeed from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there is one hope and one hope only, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. And a very key part of this text of the Bible itself is bound up in what we're going to see in 1 Samuel. But I want to kind of guide you into that context here. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what my message is beforehand. So as you read it, you can have this in the back of your mind. And I'm not going to um, you know, I kind of drive straight through. I'm just going to tell you this is what I believe the message is, and then I'm going to walk you through the text, and hopefully we'll have a good time doing this. But the message, as I understand it, is our life with God in Jesus yields worship in our good and bad moments, that we may see that He is the hero, the treasure, and the goal of life, who has entered our lives together for the sake of His name and the nations who do not yet know Him. By the way, do you hear that last part? It sounded like the two great commandments love God, to love others. Hannah's story, which is where we're going to begin today, is a story that's going to take you into the question of whether or not God is with you in the bad moments and in the good moments, and what does it mean that God is with you? Is He powerful? Is He good? And indeed, this story will help us get there. So let's, let's think a little bit about the context of the Bible. We know that God's people were promised through Abraham that there would be a seed who would bring them to the land where God dwells. And Israel is waiting for that seed to come. Ultimately, Jesus is that seed. And while Israel waits, as they leave Egypt, as they, 
after Mount Sinai, they get all these laws, or at Mount Sinai and after Mount Sinai, all these laws, which you love reading, I know. And all these laws are there to hold Israel in place while she waits for that Messiah. Now, as they go into the land under Joshua, Joshua is a great leader, no doubt about it, but Joshua's like you and me. He could not bring them to the land where God dwells not completely. You know why? Because he could not get rid of idols. Moses couldn't bring them into the land. Joshua brought them into the land. But the one part of the promised land he could not conquer was the human heart. He could not circumcise their hearts to love God completely. So at the end of the book of Joshua, he just says this surprising thing. When you think God's people have been so triumphant, he steps up and says, put away your idols. And he repeats it. They say, oh, we, we want to follow God. No, you don't. No, no, we want to follow God. Okay, you're a witness against yourself. And with the best of intentions, the people of God are in the land, and they become worse than the nations, worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. What happens? In the book of Judges, you find out what happens when nobody is speaking rightly about God, when God's presence is not manifest by His people talking about Him rightly according to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And they literally become, in Judges 19, worse than Sodom and Gomorrah, just as Moses said they would become. Now, from this moment, in the last few chapters of that book, there's a refrain that cries out. In fact, it becomes the last verses of the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Huh. We are longing, as we go from Judges to 1 Samuel, we are longing for a king. But listen, this book is not written to tell you that David's that king. David's not that king. This book is written to tell you about God as king, about the hope in the son of David who is yet to come. In Hannah's story, one of the great questions you should ask as you read this book is, why talk about Hannah? There are lots of women who longed for babies who didn't have babies. Oh, well, she was a superstar of the faith. Well, she, yes, she, she had a lot more faith than I did, but she will tell you, and the reason why she is talked about is she's not the hero of the story. What Hannah shows us in her story and in her poem that follows in chapter 2 is that her life, both in the bad times and the good times, became opportunities for her to encounter the goodness of God. And at the end of her poem, she says things that David will say at the end of his life. In fact, the entire book of Samuel which is part of this larger story of Israel's time in the land and how they blew it just like Adam blew it when he was in the garden and how you and I blow it in our own homes and our own jobs. The one refrain that we have to come back to is who is the hero of the story? And indeed, you're going to see that Hannah is not the hero. Her son Samuel is not the hero. And the provision of Samuel is not the greatest blessing. It is ultimately going to be the presence of God. So we're going to divide the text up into two parts. The first part is the story, which is chapter 1. In chapter 2, the beginning of it, we have her poem. Hannah's poem is very important to the Bible because it's also what Mary is talking about in the beginning of Luke. 
uh, what you call the Magnificat, and you sing lots of things. That, that is Mary talking about this part of the Bible and pointing to Jesus. So this is exactly what I think is happening here. So let's walk through the text together. I'm going to read the text to you kind of slowly, kind of go through it. We're going to go back, we're going to talk about the ideas, and then we'll get to chapter 2, I promise, eventually. Now, chapter 1, verse 1. And so there was one man from Ramathim Sophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Yehoram, the son of Eliyahu, the son of Toku, the son of Suf, and a Pathrotite. Now, you say, what does that mean, by the way? It means he's from Bethlehem. All right, there you go. And to him there were two wives, and the name of the one was Hannah, or Hannah, Grace. And the name of the second was Penina. And so there were sons for Penina, but to Hannah there were no sons. And that man went up from his city year after year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Stop. What's Shiloh? All right, so as part of all those laws that put you to sleep, what God has done is he's provided his temporary presence in a building called the tabernacle. It's a temporary, tackle, uh, uh, temporary place. It's a tent. And in the tent, there is the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God is. And all those laws tell Israel how to be safe around God. Why is that important? Because the God who is present there especially is also the God who is present in creation, the God who is present in redemption, and the God who is present in the end. But they were going to Shiloh because Moses commanded it. They were going to where the tabernacle was. They were going to the presence of God. Verse 4. And so there was a, a day that Elkanah sacrificed, and he gave to Penina his, his wife, and to all her sons and to all her daughters portions. But to Hannah, he gave one portion doubled over, because it is Hannah he loved. But the Lord closed her womb. Verse 6, and her rival provoked her with provocations so that she thundered against her. Now, I said the word thunder. Your translations probably don't have thunder. But when we get to Hannah's poem, that word's going to show up again. All right? The rest of verse 6, because the Lord had still closed her womb. And thus he would do year after year, as often as she would go up into the house of the Lord. Thus she provoked her and she wept. And she did not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you cry? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And Hannah arose after she ate in Shiloh, and after she drank. And Eli, the priest, who was sitting uh, on the chair, which is by the doorpost of the temple or the tabernacle of the Lord. Now, the, Eli is the priest, the high priest, and he is from Aaron's family. Now, verse 10. And she was bitter of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord, and, and she wept intently, and she vowed a vow, and she said, Lord of hosts, if you have seen the afflictions of your maidservant, then remember me. Do not forget your maidservant. Give to your maidservant a seed of men that I may give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor will not go up upon his head. And so it was that she multiplied her prayer before the Lord, and Eli was watching her mouth. 
And Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips were quivering and her voice was not heard. And Eli thought her to be drunk. And Eli said to her, How long will you keep getting drunk? Turn away your wine from before you. And Hannah answered. And she said, No, my Lord. I am a woman bitter of spirit. And wine and strong drink I have not drunk. And I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not set your maidservant as one of the foolish women. Or you could even say one of the wicked women. For from the abundance of my complaint and my provocations, I have spoken until now. Verse 17. And Eli answered. And he said, go in peace. May the God of Israel give you a request which you have asked from him. And she said, may your maidservant find grace in your eyes. And the woman went upon her path, and she ate, and her face was not as it was before. And they arose in the morning, and they worshipped before the Lord, and they returned, and they came to their house, the Ramathah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it was at the turning of the year that Hannah conceived, and she begat a son, and she called his name Shemuel, Samuel. Because I have asked of him from the Lord. The man Elkanah went up in all of his house to sacrifice to the Lord, a yearly sacrifice in his vow. And Hannah did not go up because she said to her husband, Not until the boy is weaned. Then I will bring him, and he will appear before the Lord, and he will live there forever. And Elkanah said to her, or Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what is good in your eyes. Stay until you wean him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. And the woman stayed, and she nursed her son until she weaned him. And she arose with him just as uh, she weaned him with three bowls and one ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the lad was a lad. And they slaughtered the bull. And they brought the lad to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing before you in this place to pray to the Lord. It is for this boy that I prayed. And the Lord gave to me my request, which I asked from him. Indeed, I prayed to the Lord, uh, I prayed to the Lord for all these days that he, because he is asked of the Lord. And she worshiped there. She worshiped the Lord there, excuse me. Now this is the word of the Lord. We'll pick up in chapter 2 in just a moment. Now in this story, we are obviously dealing with a woman who's in a situation where we are on the downside of life, where things have not worked out the way that we've planned. I can remember when I was younger, I would see those folks in high school and even in college who had the plan. The plan was finish high school, top your class, go to college, top your class, get married, get a job, well, get a job, get married, you got to do that right. Get a job, get married. Most, most women you want to marry actually want to eat too, so getting a job is an important thing. 
I get all that was planned out. All that was part of my plan and your plan and many others' plans for how we should live life. But what happens to many of us is the very things that we have planned have not happened. And there's hurt. And there's pain. And there's anguish. And there's a burning question. Why? One of the problems with the question why is that the Lord never feels obligated to answer it. When Job cried out why, God never told him why. Now we as the reader get to see why. But Job never was told why. He was reminded that God was a God of creation. The God of creation is the God of redemption, the God of salvation. And Hannah's situation is desperate. We should ask ourselves, why is he having us learn about this one woman? It is because this woman, when she affirms her hope in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the very God that you and I know is Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, When she affirms that, she does so in such a way to communicate the presence of God and shows us how to wait for God. One of the hard things about being a Christian is that you cannot disconnect being a faithful Christian from waiting. She had to wait, and Israel had to wait for the first coming of the Lord. Moses and the prophets longed for what they called the end of the days. That would be the time when God would be on earth. But they not only saw the Messiah, they saw his bride. And when they longed for that, they said, Adam lost our life with God, but it's coming. But part of what they're trying to tell you is even in waiting for God, God's already there. God's always present. Now, this is so important to me. Because just as they were longing for the first coming, and even though you have this amazing life with Jesus, now, what do you know about it? Do you have everything? Well, kind of. You're seated in Charleston, you're seated in Hanahan, but you're also seated in the heavenlies, Paul says. What does that mean? It means that your life with God, your salvation, which is life with God, is not only about the moment you gave your life to Him, your justification, when you heard the Word of God and the Spirit of God and they drew you to repent, and when you repented, you began to walk with God. From that moment of justification, you began the next part of salvation that we call sanctification. And what is sanctification? It's where you keep coming back to the reality of who God is in Christ. As you began your life in repentance, you continue it in repentance. The main way that somebody knows that you're a Christian is you live a life that is transformed because you keep coming into God's presence and he keeps telling you, put that down. Love that enemy. Walk with that neighbor. Feed that sick. Clothe that poor. Your life with God now indicates whether you believe that your salvation is not only about justification and sanctification, but also glorification. After you die, and we all die, if you're in Christ, your heart will be perfectly changed. You can safely live with Him forever, but you're not there yet. If you're a believer, you're caught between the battle between the old man and the new man, and you're waiting for God to get rid of all those things you long for that you shouldn't long for. He will. But now he's left you here. Why has he left you here? Because you have brothers and sisters who look differently than you, talk differently than you, would never come into this building, who would never, but, and what has he done? He said, I'm gonna live in you so I can live through you so that you can talk about my name to those nations who don't yet know you. And the moment we as Christians disconnect ourselves from communicating who God is by how we live, by what we say, by what we do, we have made our lives about ourselves and there's no life in that. It's a slowly fading death. This is what happened in the book of Judges. 
When people forget to encounter God in his word and to humble themselves before him, we end up like the book of Judges. But what's the hope? Do you all remember in uh, Numbers, when Israel tried to go to the promised land, they went up into Numbers, and they tried to go in the promised land, but the people were afraid to go in the, in the land. They were afraid to go where God had asked them to go. And then, of course, God took that generation, and he said, for 40 years, which actually 38 years, y'all will walk around until all of you are dead, and then your children will have a choice. Do you all remember that? Listen, when God did that, when God took that generation, he was not throwing them away. He said, you will not discover me when you go into the land. You know why? Because <laughs> you don't have hearts that love me. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show you that I'm present even in the wilderness. That's the title for the book of Numbers in Hebrew, in the wilderness. Hannah is somebody in the wilderness. Many of us are in the wilderness. You know what that means? It means that the very things that we thought we needed to have, we don't have, and yet God keeps sustaining us. And indeed, as you think about what she's going through here, her pain may not reflect yours today, but there is a day coming or a day that has been where you will have great disappointment, where you will lose a child or a mother or a spouse or a job. Or many of you remember when those towers fell? I talked to college students who were, I guess, like three and four and five when that happened. They don't remember that the way we did. That's okay. What were we all terrified that day? What did we suddenly recognize that we thought was a firm foundation, but because God shook the creation, we know, oh, that's not the firm. Firm foundation is the Messiah. How do you know that? Because we need a God who is with us not only in life, but also in death. And this is why the resurrected Jesus is your hope. Because you have a God who's conquered death and you have to show that to others. So here's Hannah's situation. Hannah in the wilderness. Hannah in her difficult times. She is being attacked against her rivals. Her rivals are even thundering against her. And she appears to be losing, 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 losing. But did you notice that that is a lot like Israel's situation? The reason why we're talking about Hannah is because I said Hannah teaches us how to wait. This is how Israel should wait for the Messiah. This is how we should wait for a second coming. Now, what does she end up doing? She ends up going to the Lord. But when she does that, notice what happens. She, in her bitterness, when she's provoked and she's losing, she goes to the Lord, to the presence of, of God at the, at the tabernacle, and she begins to cry out to him in prayer. Do you notice that your prayer life tends to be in direct opposite to how well your life is going? So is it good that you get everything that you want? Probably not. Why? Because when God gave Moses and Israel those laws, he said, when you go into the land and I give you all the things that you want, guess what you're going to do? You're going to forget me. Don't forget me. And so what did she do? She cried out to God. And she said, God, remember me. And she said, give me a, a seed of a man. And she said, don't, I, I'll give him to you. I won't have a razor on his head. What is that about? That's called a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow. So Samson and Samuel had lifetime Nazarite vows. But the uh, original Nazarite vow was just a period of time. Like Israel in the wilderness. Like you in Charleston and Hanahan. Do you watch the news? Do you notice that the bad guys, whoever you think the bad guys are, if you think the bad guys are Democrats or Republicans or politicians or businessmen or whatever you think the bad guys are, it seems like they're winning, right? <laughs> Don't worry. God is there. God is in charge. And in the midst of this, what is he asking us to do? 
to recognize that God is good to us and good to them, and He has called us to turn to Him the way that Hannah uh, indeed turned to him. And she asked for the seed of man and she offers to says, listen, I, I, I want the son, because I, but I want the son so that I can give him to you. Now there are many good things in life that you can think about. What you don't want to do is say spiritual things are good and earthly things are bad. Hogwash. When you're hungry, it's not sinful for you to eat a cheeseburger unless you have to steal to get the cheeseburger. You understand that? Don't do that. But apart from that, God is not saying the spiritual is good and, and the material is bad. What he's saying is that the God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that when we decide how we live, what we eat, what we drink, what we do, we have to connect those decisions to drawing close to God. And in particular, for us as Christians, it means will we draw close to him via the great commission and the great commandments? Every decision of your life comes back to that. Can I connect what I'm about to do to making disciples of all nations? Great commission. Sometimes that means as a mother, you you spend time teaching the Bible to your child. As a father, you are biblically obligated to teach every child, not just the ones who were born to you, that comes into your path the scriptures. Sometimes with formal lessons, sometimes with informal lessons. You know the best way I teach my kids the Bible? I repent constantly. It's true. Because I don't have a choice. Because as I walk with God, I lead others to do the same. So, here's what we have here. She cries out for this. She says, I'm going to give him to you. He's going to be with you forever. And as she's crying out, Eli even misreads her. He's such a bad priest that she's pouring her heart out to God. And he says, oh, you're just a drunk. Rest assured that man sees the outside, but God sees the heart. While there was no sound coming out of her mouth, God heard every sound she said. It was the presence of God that were being, were being shown here. And when she ex- explains her, ca- her case, of course, Eli comes along and he says, here's the deal. May God bless you in what you've asked for. And she responds in kind. But did you notice when she left what happened? It's very important. Nothing changed in her situation. And it says at the end of uh, verse 18, and her face was not as it was anymore. It changed. What changed? Not her situation, but she knew that the God of creation, the God whose word made everything, heard her. And she could rest in the fact that he is a powerful and a good God. He is a present God. And that rest led her to return. Now, one of the things that I think most of us struggle with is the uh, uh, questions from Elkanah the husband. And when I read those questions to you, you probably said, what a dumb husband. What do you mean am I better to you than ten sons? That question is not there to make you learn about what it means to be married to Elkanah. That question is there actually not to make you to learn what it means to be married to your husband even. It's asking a much more important question. Is God a good father and a good husband to her and to you? Am I better to you in the wilderness, in the desert, in the longing for something that is good but it's being kept from you, what do you have a chance to discover? That in the end, all you needed is God. He also, in the second part, 
of this chapter, he also will say something that will help us think about the presence of God when things are good. As I told you, when things are good, what do we like to do? She gets the child, God remembers her, God blesses her. She could just say, mine. And would any of us be upset at a mother who held on to her child? Probably not. Certainly not in public. We might be tempted to say things. But what has happened in her heart is expressed not only here, but in the poem that follows. Indeed, Elkanah warns her just as the Old Testament, just as the Torah, just as the New Testament warns us that when we get blessed, we have a temptation to fall in love with the things God gives us rather than God himself. And so, listen to his counsel to her here. Uh, Verse uh, 23. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what is good in your eyes. Does that not remind you of the book of Judges? Do what is good in your eyes. That's what people were doing in Judges. What's the difference? He doesn't mean be like Judges. What does he mean? He means start seeing the world the way that God does. And the proof that she does that is what does she do? She worships. She obeys. She loves even when she has every earthly longing fulfilled. So her heart was revealed not only when things were difficult, but especially when things were good. And so do what is good in your eyes. Stay until you wean him. May the Lord confirm his word. It is the Lord that makes possible for you to worship him in the bad times and in the good times. To make him the center of your universe so that you can celebrate the life you have with God for the sake of his name and for the sake of others. Hmm. To worship God... It's not to sing a song, although singing a song can be worship. Worship is the right response. Listen carefully. Worship is the right response to the right revelation of who God is. You know that she is worshiping Jesus because she takes what she said, she keeps her vow, and she hands it off, and she says, He is yours. Now, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing, and by the way, if you're an American, by definition, no matter how you feel, you are wealthy historically. You are a 1% of the 1%er if you're American living today. If you look at all the people who've ever lived, we are beyond wealthy. And the problem is not the wealth, the problem is what? My phone keeps buzzing me. By the way, it did just buzz me, just so you know. Is a cell phone a bad thing? No. Not necessarily. But I can surely make it bad. And I can make my life about myself and the things that God's given me. Or I can take those moments of my life and give them to Jesus. This is what Hannah does. Now why she does that, the poem's going to make it clear to us. What she does is she, lets her, she, she allows her life to be seen through the prism of the scriptures. She sees that in her story is not her story. Highland Park Baptist Church's story is not Highland Park Baptist Church's story. It's God's story. And what you and I are called to do is to recognize that we are part of a story greater than ourselves. That we share the same problem with every person we meet, but we also share the same hope. Oh, wow. So this is what she does. Look at, her, look at chapter 2. And Hannah prayed to the Lord and she said, My heart exalts in the Lord and my horn or my strength uh, is lifted up in the Lord. My words are increased against my enemies. 
Did you hear that subtle S there? Very subtle. This is not about the conflict between Hannah and Penina. This poem shows us that, she, that this, what she sees when she sees the blessing of her son Samuel is not Samuel, but that she has a God who is with her and God is good to her. And she longs for that day when God comes fully. That is, she longs for the Messiah who will judge the ends of the earth. She's going to say that. So look at this, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Oh, I forgot the last part of verse 1. Forgive me. <laughs> After she says enemies, notice the next thing. For I rejoice in your salvation. What does that mean to rejoice in God's salvation? I rejoice in being close to God. What should set us apart as a church is that we are people who enjoy being close to God. Which means that the people you work with that hate you, the people who despise you, the paninas of your life are there so that you can reveal God to them by doing what? Humbling yourself to the point of death, even death on the cross. You are the very means whereby others can encounter the God of the scriptures. Or we can be silent. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one like you. There is no rock like our God. Do not speak anymore your high boast and let arrogance come out from y'all's mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. He knows everything. We show that when we submit more and more of our lives to Him and our sanctification. And by Him, actions, deeds, what we do. Are weighed. Now, when I tell you all this, I'm going to take you down to the end of the poem to verse 10. What he then does in the rest of the, of the poem is he says, the world is not the way you see it. When you see somebody having lots of things, it doesn't mean that uh, in the end it'll work out well for them. In fact, he says, God puts to death, God brings to life. God brings down, God raises up. He makes the poor sit with nobles. That doesn't happen in the world's economy but it does when the kingdom of God comes completely. And so the key for you and me to understand our lives is to look at verse 10 and recognize that she could see the world through the prism of Jesus because she saw her salvation and life with Jesus to the end of the earth. The Lord will dismay those who contend against him. He will thunder. You remember Penina thundered? It's the same word. The Lord thunders in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king what are we longing for his king jesus and he raises up the horn of his mashiach his messiah his anointed that is jesus can you today leave here with the word of god and the spirit of god and take more and more of your life and surrender it to his will and begin to encounter god in the places that seem difficult but also in the places that seem good and allow your life together as a local church to be a group of people who encounter God who keeps saying, this life is amazing, but it's not over yet. I know how it ends, and it ends in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be your people. We are grateful that we need you. At times, our mouths are arrogant like the world. At times we reflect our own, uh, our own selves rather than your son. But Father, we thank you for the mercy of the cross that is new each day. And as we finish the service, Lord, we ask you to do in our lives and in our hearts 
what only you can do, that you would draw believers to real repentance, that in this congregation that there would be broken relationships renewed, and in our connection to this neighborhood and the surrounding city, Father, help us to walk with you humbly, putting on the love that you have shown us in Jesus, because you are the hero, you are the goal of our story. If anyone needs to surrender their lives to Jesus or to recognize that they have been going through the motions, Father, let now be the time, let today be the day, and let this church remind each other of your Son. It's in His name we pray. Amen.